Computer, initialize Holosuite. Welcome to Beyond Farpoint. I'm Jeff Owen, and here to talk to me about all things Star Trek The Next Generation is my good friend Baz Greenland. How are you doing today, Baz? I'm excellent, thank you. Always love talking Star Trek. I don't know if you're aware, but there are other Star Trek TV shows. There are. I mean, we've already, we've already talked about I mean, I think the irony, of course, that we won our Next Gen podcast, and we both are huge, huge fans of the Next Gen, but I think, uh, you know, we may know bones about it, DS9 is probably our favourite Star Trek, but... um. TNGs are almost there, but there are others as well. We know there were so many. I'm I'm currently actually kind of half rewatching, but there's probably a few gaps. The original series now, so I'm always into season one, so it's kind of good to go back and uh, revisit that as well. And um, yeah, enjoying Strange New Worlds and mm. uh, love Picard as well. So yeah, there's loads of Star Trek in there, and yeah, I, I love. To be honest, I love all Star Trek. You know, some's better than others, but I love it all. Yeah, hashtag all Star Trek. <laughs> yeah, and of course you know that uh, kind of like the Marvel Universe, these other Star Trek shows have had some of our Next Generation characters and actors show up, and sometimes their character and actors show up in Next Gen as well. Mm. So, if you hadn't guessed, that's sort of what we're talking about today. Uh, we'll cover crossovers into Next Generation at another point, but we're here today to talk about crossovers out of Next Generation. It's good for us because... For once, we get to talk about the other shows, <laughs> and we can get away with it. So we can talk about Deep Space Nine today. We can talk about Voyager. We can talk about Lower Decks and Prodigy, Enterprise, and even, sort of, the original series. Absolutely, yeah. It's been quite fun, actually, to kind of um, look at the uh, next-gen cast. I mean, there are, there are recurring characters you'll, as we'll talk about, though, you know. There's like the Q and Queen of crossovers, which we'll, which we'll delve into on across all yeah. these shows. But yeah, it's nice to kind of see where it works and kind of where it doesn't work as well. So I think about it's a funny thing about crossovers. Sometimes they 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 can be quite magical, and um, it's great to see you know see, see these characters interacting with ones that you don't see on a weekly basis. And sometimes it's it, they kind of take over as well. I think we'll definitely uh, we see that in the episodes we're going to talk about today. Yeah, absolutely. We've we've picked three episodes from across the board but we're not going to ignore some of the others because there's been some some great cameos even if they haven't mm. been full-blown episodes um yeah. but we're deciding to focus on three episodes today one each from deep space nine voyager and enterprise um because the crossover is the main focus of the story but um, we will be dipping our toes in some of the other cameos from the other shows. We've got to say as well, for this episode, we're not counting Star Trek Picard because basically it's a continuation of Next Generation. So we're not classing that as crossovers. Yeah. Plus, we've also done two Picard episodes this year already. So we've, <laughs> we, we, we've got our season one look back from the beginning of the year. And our last episode, no, sorry, our last episode before the last one, we did our uh, Picard season two review of Alex Perry as well. So yeah, we, we've covered Picard, haven't we? Yeah, a bit confusing for us because we recorded the last two episodes the other way round. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, yeah. Frame um, of mind was before because he's into, but actually um, aired afterwards. Yeah. Yeah, as you were talking about just now, we have noticed that there's the king and queen of crossovers, basically Riker and Troy, 
Is there a Star Trek series they haven't been in? Well, apart from the original series. Well, Discovery, I suppose. Well, yeah, that's a point. I think Discovery is the only one that hasn't really had that crossover. So Riker's been in DS9, which we're going to talk about. Yeah. We've had Troy in Voyager. I think it was at least twice, maybe three times. I think she was all, all the Reg Barclay episodes as well, and we're going to talk about one of those. They, I don't want to say they derailed the finale, but maybe I do. <laughs> <laughs> they took over and turned the finale of Enterprise into Riker and Troy on the hard deck, but we'll come on to that one as well. Obviously, they turned up at the end of Lower Deck Season 1, and Riker was being in Season 2 as well, and that was great fun. I don't think they've actually been in Prodigy. Obviously, Crusher appeared in Prodigy, but I don't think we've seen Riker or Troy yet, have we? No, not yet. I can almost no. imagine it's going to happen, though. Yeah, and um, uh, how, how they shoot them into Strange New Worlds, I don't know. That would be a challenge <laughs> as well. But... I'm sure they're going to give it a damn good try. Yeah. We're going to focus on a few of them. So, shall we start off with Defiant? Absolutely, let's go for it. You once knew him as Commander Riker. Hope you've got room for the unexpected. But after stealing Starfleet's most powerful warship... The Defiant shields are up. What? Has he become the galaxy's deadliest enemy? The ship was built to fight. And will his shocking secret... It's headed directly into the heart of Cardassian territory. Result in a full-scale invasion? Fire! Next time on Star Trek Deep Space Nine. Deep Space Nine Season 3, Episode 9, written by our old friend Ronald D. Moore, directed by Cliff Bowl. Kira's been relieved of duty by Bashir and told to enjoy two of a certain amount of items that Dr. Bashir gives her, when suddenly at the door, Commander Riker, or who we believe is Commander Riker, is standing at the doorway saying he hopes she's got rooms for room for the unexpected. When you first saw this episode, what did you think when you saw Riker standing there? Jonathan Frakes is kind of charisma. We talked about it in the last episode when he was kind of you know out of sorts in, in the frame of mind. But Jonathan Frakes has so much charisma and charm as Riker, and he's got that in spades when he, when he when he turns up in Defiance. And uh, it's almost the, the, the one thing that kind of um, confused me with the with the beginning of the episode, of course, is that when he turns up, it's almost like Kira reacts to him. It's like, oh, it's Riker. It's like yeah, the audience know who Riker is, but why would Kira know? Um, in, unless they I met, maybe that as well. Yeah, unless they met during uh, emissary. But I think by that point, Kira was a very very angry Bajora, so I'm not sure she would have. Um, Pay two cents to what the uh, second in command of the Enterprise was, was saying, but uh, yeah, it's 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 a fun one because obviously, as you find out, they basically spend the evening chatting, getting to know each other, and actually having a great time. And uh, she refers to him, oh, it's Will to Dax as well in the episode. So you know, he certainly he certainly brings on that charm and that charisma, and um, it's fun to see two very different characters because I can imagine Dax and Riker would have such a great time; they'd have a real laugh. Oh God, and, can't uh, you imagine? Yeah, I do. And obviously, Dax does mention, you know, are you here for another loan? So there's this kind of that history, but I think Dax has probably got a history of everyone. I I would love to see a Dax on a complete side note on something like Stranger Worlds, because why not? Because, you know, it's um, I think Dax's history with so many characters. And obviously, he's got history with um, Riker, too. I think the whole thing with Kira and Riker, it's interesting. I'm not sure there's really any chemistry between them, despite what the... Uh, episode suggests but it's kind of fun to see Kira who is very straight talking very direct interacting with someone who's very kind of warm and charming and mm. possibly a little bit sleazy as well 
<laughs> Kira does sort of relax and open up a little bit, though. Um, yeah. So uh, I think when she's used to someone, she gets more used to being around that person, and she yeah. you can see that it, the grin on her face when Rike is standing there is very warm and inviting. The, mm. the other um, the other thing as well, it wasn't just emissary that we've seen. Don't forget as well, the Enterprise went back to Deep Space Nine during Birthright, which oh, yes. we're going to talk about as well. And Riker's obviously propped up Quark's bar before because he talks to Quark in mm. Firstborn. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I reckon that uh, Kira must have seen Riker around uh, Quark's bar and probably yeah, I, I, yeah. Him. I reckon Enterprise D's been at DS Nine probably a few times. Off and screen. We, we yeah, we've uh, we've seen it, we've seen it a couple of times on the screen in Emissary and uh, mm. obviously in in Birthright as well. But um, yeah, there's probably a few more times. So. Yeah, maybe, maybe maybe that's it. Maybe we've never seen a scene of them together, so it makes that kind of her reaction to him kind of oh, it's Riker, seeming a little bit odd. It's like yes, the audience might react to oh, it's Riker. It's great, it's a crossover, but not necessarily. Um, I, I I found Kira's reaction a little bit forced, maybe. But again, Nana Vista's a fantastic actress. She she does she plays it so well, and it, and it's really fun to sort of see them playing off each other. Yeah. There's a double crossover in this one because we've got another actor who we've uh, who we're very familiar with from Next Generation. Trisha O'Neill is in this oh, episode yes. as well. The, yeah, the um, Obsidian Order agent. Yes, yes, who? Yeah, definitely. I I, I picked up on that. Yeah, I, I, well, it was one of those. I was I was um, as I do with a lot of TV. Thinking, I know that face, even though because that's amazing. But I know that face. <laughs> I know that performance. And so yeah, quick look at IMDb. Oh yes, she was Captain Garrett of the Enterprise C. Yes, of uh, the episode that we recently had the uh, pl- privilege of talking to Eric Stilwell about. Um, yeah. So yeah, it was uh, it was great to see her show up on this as well. Did you start to wonder what was going on with Riker though when he's clearly he clearly doesn't remember Dax and his attitude mm. towards O'Brien was a yeah. complete shock as well. Uh, I mean, obviously, there's a very good reason for it, but it shuts O'Brien down, and he's going, oh, oh, because what, what does he say to him? He, he says, I have nothing to say to you, O'Brien, and I think you know why. It's like, yeah. it's weird, and yeah, I, mean, I, I guess it's the first sign, because, you know, the opening opening scenes when you've got... Uh, Kira and Riker, and then um, Cisco in Riker's office, you know, passing through on his way to Riker. Of course, he's going to Riker because he's, he, yeah, he's, he's, Riker. <laughs> he's, he's Riker. And um, yeah, and then obviously Dax and talk about Quark. And so there's obviously the interaction there. So it's all very fun, but they, in those opening scenes, there's not really any sense of what is the episode about apart from let's bring Riker on the show. And, and I think at this point, because it's still, it's post all good things. So we're, we're technically at the end of yeah. next gen, but we're pre generation. So it's the point I think when DS9 Are was the only show on the air. Yeah, I think so because I think it must be because he talks about the Enterprise D. I'm sure he does in the episode, and certainly. No, he talks about the loss of the Enterprise D. Does he? Doesn't he? That, 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 that I'm you're thinking of Worf and O'Brien and Where the Warrior. I think that's the first time. It's I mentioned. may be. Yeah. Yeah. So I, I think it's that year. Basically, generations happens in during season three of. DS9 and, and beginning of Voyager. Voyager takes place um, halfway through season three of DS9 as well. So this was, I think, this was the point. The first half of season three was the point when, the only point I think, when DS9 was the only show on the air. Um, I think up to like past tense in, in a few episodes' time. So yeah, it's 
it's kind of like, oh yeah, let's bring bring Wyke on the show. I think almost maybe at a time we could have seen it as a bit of a kind of prophecy. All oh, up, we've got Generations, kind of our first next gen movie. Let's bring Wyke on the show. So I think the episode coasts a lot on that kind of charmer home Wyke on there. You know, bringing back some next gen who aren't actually on screen anymore at this point, mm. and also you know maybe gives a little bit of buzz for Generations happening probably around the same time as well. Yeah, that's that's very true. I can imagine that's uh, created a lot of publicity. So you know, Deep Space Nine fans may see this character for the first time and go, oh, right, okay, what, what's going on? And then you get the moment where Riker just flat out shoots Kira on the Defiant. Yeah. It, it's, a, it's a great twist because you, you know something has to happen. Yeah. Um, and obviously the stuff where Brian is the first turning point and you go, what is going on here? Is there some kind of history we haven't seen? Something time back to, to the next gen. Yeah, when he shoots her, it's great. Yeah, I think the episode plays just long enough to maintain the momentum of of Riker being off before you go, well, something's really going to happen. And then when he does it, and, um, and you know, you'll see he shoots her, brings up the uh, shields, steals the Defiant, and off he goes with the marquee to the Badlands. It's it's, it's like, wow, this is really turning. What what the hell is going on with Riker? Leave mm. that fantastic moment when he just rips off the sideburns and you did it, Tom. It's like, wow, actually, this, 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 this is a... This is a crossover with a Dixon character that actually isn't the character we thought it was in the first place. I'm gonna I'm gonna surprise you now. I saw this episode before Second Chances, ah. first time round. So the first time I saw this episode, I was even more confused <laughs> because it's like, oh, okay, so he's pulled off his sideburns. He's still got a goatee. He's still obviously Riker. Why is mm. he suddenly joined the Marquis? What was what's going on? And I just couldn't wrap my head around it. And I think it was only a couple of weeks later that I saw Second Chances. Mm. And it all sort of fell into place. Yeah. I went back and watched it and realised what was going on. Just going back to the Dax thing as well. wanted to say as well that he walks out and you can see he's clearly got no idea who this woman is. Mm. And let's face it, I'm sure you'd remember someone like Dax. <laughs> she definitely makes an impression on you. Definitely, yeah. Um, so, yeah... There are all those, all those little odd signs that suggest something is slightly off with Riker. So, um, yeah, it's it plays in the charm of Riker. It plays in those oddities just enough to kind of keep you guessing, really. And But not without kind of... I think the episode does a very good job of not keeping it, keeping the mystery dragging on too long. Mm. But, play, play, I mean, yeah, it certainly plays in the charm of being a next-gen crossover episode. But then then get then, then, then builds in these oddities... You know, you start to question what's going on, and then bang, shoots Kira, still to defiant, rips all those sideburns, and suddenly turns the episode on its head. And I think it becomes a very different episode. Of, it becomes actually a DS9 episode after that point. I think yeah, even though it's got so. Thomas Riker in it, up to that point, it's it's almost like a crossover between the two. And suddenly we're actually not watching we're not watching Will Riker, who you've seen for seven years. Mm. Suddenly we're watching a member of the Marquee stealing the defiant, and and plays really well into. Um, setting up future stuff you know there's great stuff in this episode which is all ds9 related which is about the um the obsidian order the uh mention of the fleet which comes into a in great importance laid down with dyer's cast um when the mm. tal shian and uh obsidian order invade the dominion homeworld um obviously the more the marquee stuff going on as well which was set up last season i always thought that ds9 got saddled with the marquee because the marquee were purely there for the setup for voyager you know, yeah, they appeared right at the end of next gen. Uh, obviously, Rogue goes off to join the Marquee. It's a shame we never got to see what happened with that. Mm. But um, you've got next gen. It didn't really make much of a footnote on next gen because it just kind of just teased things up. 
DS9 had that big two-parter in season two, which was a great two-parter, and got saddled with them. And then Voyager, but it was all for Voyager. And that was Voyager just wasted the potential straight away. By episode two, they were in uniforms. All that conflict was gone. But I think DS9 ran with it. And this is one of those episodes where the marquee were much more interesting in the show they weren't designed for. So um, I, I like how this episode really kind of plays under the marquee threat, the, the, the threat of terrorism as well, which will go through to season five when they're wiped out anyway. Um, but yeah, I, I, I know I feel like we're really talking to a DS9 now, but I, I like how it turns things on its head and uses the character of Tom to be a marquee Obsidian Order Cardassian episode as mm. opposed to a next-gen crossover. I, I mean, we're stepping away from next generation a bit, but obviously Deep Space Nine had the whole Michael Eddington uh, story as well which oh, yeah. uh, you, you know spoilers if you haven't got that far into deep space nine yet but that's you know you've got this trusted officer on board deep space nine who's who's there and he's very very loyal or seems to be very loyal mm. and um then suddenly stabs cisco in the back and suddenly he's his nemesis he's um, yeah as they say he's his valjean well, absolutely. I mean, those John two Bell, season John. five, yeah, those two season five episodes of Edison are pure brilliant. They are so good. They, I mean, I think season five of DS9 is just probably one of the best seasons of any Star Trek. And uh, yeah. I know, again, we're veering away from next gen here, but <laughs> yeah, the agents of is great. You know, we'll, we'll step away. We we know that the Fire Caves have their own DS9 podcast, and they'll certainly be getting to that. But yeah, yeah. it's nice to, nice to delve a little bit into DS9's world with this, with this episode too. Yeah, just going back then to our episode, obviously at the point, as you said, where he takes off the the sideburns, it, it's sort of no longer a crossover episode, even though we're we're carrying on watching Jonathan Frakes. Mm. Um, it's not Will Riker. The finale of the episode, I still think it's very much he's still got the character of Riker because mm. he sacrifices himself. Really, he turns himself in for the benefit of the rest of the crew, and I thought, yeah, I could imagine our Riker doing that as well. Absolutely. Well, that's it. The thing about Tom Riker is he is Riker. He's just yeah. Riker from like trapped in a transport for 10 years. I haven't actually watched Second Chances for quite a while, but obviously, yeah, he's trapped in this buffer. He's Riker from 10 years ago, I think, when he picked it up in season six, who was still a lieutenant, was having a relationship with Troy at the time, and suddenly finds that his life's moved on without him. So you can see why he's bitter. You can see why maybe he's drawn to this, you know. I mean, Kira, Kira does talk about it, actually, in the episode as well. She totally taps into the idea that Tom Riker is trying to find his own glory, his own success. And, you know, he's living in the shadow of a far more successful, essentially, mm. twin at this point, isn't he? Will Riker went on and had a successful career, works on the flagship of the Starfleet, you know, on the Enterprise. He's pretty much a war hero. He's saved people. He's great. Everyone loves him. And then Tom Riker is there Go. what about me? What do I do? So you can see why, you know, he's very much, even though I say it, it is a DS9 episode, it's a marquee episode at this point, there are those moments where it does play into the relationship with, with Will and the legacy of Will Riker as, as, a, as a character. So I think the one thing that Define does really well is play on the legacy of, you know, how, how good a character Will Riker is actually, and how and how everyone loves him, and mm. uh, you know as much as with this stuff, I you know I we could talk about it, but we probably will move on. I you know all the stuff we do, Cat and and Cisco on Cardassia, you know kind of the battle of wills with Trisha O'Neill's Obsidian Order agent as well. There's some real fantastic stuff. It's a massive you know sense of tension, the threat of war, the secret 
Talshiar fleet. You know, there's there are so many one-off things planned this episode, which make it a really, really good DS9 episode. So much stuff mm. with the so that I absolutely love the stuff about him and his and his child and his bonding with Cisco and all that is wonderful, but it does still tie back to Will Riker and the legacy of Will Riker and how Tom is trying to be a trying to be a hero living in his his transporter twin shadow. Yeah, exactly. And uh, just going back to what you said as well about the Cisco and Ducat scenes on um, on Cardassia itself. I loved the fact that the Obsidian Order person, the Trisha O'Neill character, Karinas. Yeah. She is all over Cisco because Cisco's battle tactics are so much better than Ducat's and he yeah. shows him up completely in his own living room basically and Absolutely. I loved it Cisco comes up on top uh, comes out on top of this and Ducat's looking like uh, a stunned teenager <laughs> I really enjoyed all those scenes as well but obviously yeah. the fire caves we'll talk about that more when they get to them so the end of the episode we talked we talked about obviously Tom does give himself up did you buy the kiss with Q at the end did that feel real to you or is that kind of just a bit of sentimental guff <laughs> i don't know yeah i I, th- I saw that and i thought does that hint at there being something in the past with Riker and kira but then why would tom Riker know about anything that will Riker had had with kira i think it's probably what's more and more interesting in a way is the idea of tom being a terrorist and kira herself being a former terrorist so it probably plays True. into that kind of that connection that bond between them as well that probably grows Probably, anyway, it's probably stronger between them. The connection between them is stronger when he's Tom Paris, the Marquis Terrorist, than he is as Will Riker, this kind of galaxy-renowned um, Starfleet commander. Did you say Tom Paris? I meant Tom Riker, yeah. Did you say? <laughs> I meant Tom Riker, yes. <laughs> yeah. What, what, what of the Marquis Terrorist Toms? There's, there's several. <laughs> <laughs> One of the many yeah. Toms. Defiant is a great Deep Space Nine episode, but mm. from our point of view, it's it's great seeing Riker on board the Defiant, even though he's not our Riker. It was, for me, it's, it's a great episode yeah, definitely. all around. I, I really enjoy going back and watching that one in isolation, yeah, if it stands up. So we've spoken about the king of crossovers, although have we really because it wasn't him we'll get to him <laughs> <laughs> let's talk about the queen there's so many episodes with troy in it that we could have picked as well but we've done a double crossover for this one because she is in the voyager episode pathfinder with our old friend reg barkley wednesday star trek the next generation and voyager join forces i have a plan for communicating with voyager they've been stranded sixty thousand light years from home i've decided to ask captain picard for help now the moment they've been waiting for the message is being transmitted on a starfleet emergency channel is finally here command voyager do you hear me starfleet command come in voyager an all-new star trek voyager Pathfinder is probably much more of a next-gen episode than Defiant was, even yeah. though it's a, it's, a, it's a Star Trek Voyager episode. Really, it's 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 the Barclay and Troy show with Voyager basically getting cameos in their, in their own show this time around. Yeah, I noticed that. Something that surprised me as well, I always think of Reg as being a next-generation character who crossed over into Voyager. Hmm. But he's got more Voyager appearances than Next Generation. Well, absolutely. I, th- I think from this point on, I mean, he has popped up previously as well, I think in at least one episode. But um, I think from Pathfinder onwards, he's pretty much a recurring character. He's the uh, the Federation glue that holds, hold, uh, kind of connects Voyager to the Alpha Quadrant. It's um, it's 
Barclay's quest to bring Voyager home that kind of plays all the way through. I mean, he's even in um, Endgame as well, um, yeah. along with uh, Tom Sedable Paris, who's obviously his first appearance in this episode as well, or kind of in person as well. So it's very much, even though Voyager didn't really have story arcs as such, I think what Pathfinder probably does for Voyager, and again, not in two ways, the Janeway will follow this at some point as well, so we're, we're dipping into other podcast shoes here but for a little bit. But I think what one thing that Pathfinder does quite well is set up the kind of arc of Barclay setting up the communication. By the end of this episode, Voyager was able to communicate properly with Starfleet for the first time. Now, that mm. little thing with the array in season four, um, with Hirogen came into it, but this is the first time when they can actually have that back and forth communication, which then runs through to the end of the show. And that's all all due to Barclay. You know, Barclay's brains and heroics in this episode are what enables Voyager to make contact with home once again. And you know, they obviously take another season and a half to get there. It's it's still a very much a journey. Barclay's narrative really starts with this one and obviously it's it's nice that even though it's it's kind of it's nice that Pathfinder is a Troy episode too. Very much there's a lot of stuff with Troy. I think she's still second fiddle to Barclay. Barclay yes. is, is the main star of this episode. I, I agree with that. Um it, it is very much about Barclay. I mean Barclay as as you said, we've seen in Voyager before in the episode projections, and I've got the list of his episodes here. He shows up again in uh, Lifeline, Inside Man, Author Author, and Endgame. And of mm. course, the episode we're looking at in this episode, Pathfinder, is next generation episodes, in case you're interested, only because I've written them down and I want to get them out. Hollow Pursuits, The Nth Degree, Realm of Fear, Ship in a Bottle, and Genesis. And of course, Star Trek First Contact, yeah. where he's got that brief moment fanboying over Dr. Cochrane. Yeah, I, mean, I think we've, we've actually done quite well in covering uh, Barclay. We talked about Hollow Pursuits and Nth Degree in our Mental Health Struggles episode, the one I did with Jem way back at the beginning of the podcast last year. So we talked about Barclay's social anxiety disorder and you know how he copes on the Enterprise. So we talked about that, and obviously we've covered First Contact as well. And obviously we've, we've done Genesis and uh, the wonderful uh, Spider Barclay as well, which was, uh, which was fantastic. <laughs> yeah. So we've only really got to do Realm of Fear then, in that case. Pretty much, yeah. rush- <laughs> <laughs> It was nice to see Deanna show up. I'm sure I remember it being unexpected at the time, but she's on screen literally within seconds of the episode mm. opening, uh, which I thought was great. The regular Voyager cast don't appear until 11 minutes into the episode, and considering it's their show, that's practically a quarter of the episode they're not in, and it's not even them. No, get, I, I think... It's certainly over. It's way past the half hour mark before you actually see the the, the proper crew. Um, yeah. I think the the all um, the holographic representations. I, one thing I really like because it's from Barclay's point of view. The one thing I like about the episode is that Janeway has the uh, season one and two three hair. You know, she's very much the bun of steel. Bun. The bun of steel, yeah. And obviously, Chakoti and Balana are in uh, their marquee uniforms, and mm. um, there's no seven on Neelix. So it's interesting when they eventually get to. Voyager proper about 32 33 minutes in that's when you see Seven and Neelix because then obviously from Barclay's point of view he have no idea who they are so they're not really going to be, be part of part of it it's it's all the it's very much season one almost like caretaker Voyager crew yeah uh, from Barclay's perspective which I, I like that touch you know you, you get that the, the Janeway you're seeing is not the Janeway with the better hair <laughs> that appears from like Mid-season four onwards. It, this is this is this is Jane who's a bit more by the book and um, 
a little bit probably less gung-ho than the uh, Janeway that you see in later seasons as well. And they're all absolutely fawning over Reg as well. Mm. Um, they think he's the best thing since sliced bread. <laughs> Tuvok doesn't show up to the poker game because it's illogical to lose to a superior opponent. Chakotay <laughs> wants to uh, finally get a chance to beat him at poker. He's it's hollow pursuits all over again, isn't it? It very much is so. I mean, the if there's one thing I found a little bit frustrating with the episode is it plays the broad strokes of what Barclay and Troy know. When Troy shows up, he goes, oh, would you like chocolate ice cream? Because she likes chocolate. She immediately has chocolate. Who turns up and goes, would you like tea, coffee, or chocolate ice cream? Now, that doesn't happen. But because Troy likes chocolate ice cream, that's the kind of thing they go with. It's very, very broad strokes. You know, I do like some of the stuff that with Troy and the kind of when she's... Um, kind of half counselling uh, Barclay during the course of the episode, but it's very much ball strokes. You know, the idea of Barclay's horror addiction, and we, uh, Jeremy and I talked about this in Horror Pursuits, isn't because he's necessarily addicted to hor- the horror addiction, it's because it's a form of escapism from his social, from his struggles mm. that he has. But this episode plays all we hear is horror addiction, so it's all about the horror deck. And it's a little bit frustrating because it's a little bit broad strokes. There's... There's probably there's not the depth that we saw in some of the Barclay stuff in Next Gen, but that's probably because I think Voyager had a massive love affair with Next Gen. He wanted to be the Next Gen, and mm. so I think it's ironic that in this episode, Barclay's obsessed with Voyager yeah. <laughs> as much as they are with the show. So yeah, it's it's um it's a kind of it's a fun reversal of that. Yeah, yeah, he's become lost in Voyager. Yeah, exactly. It's something else as well. Obviously, the Janeway are going to go into it more, but. Voyager like doing these fake crew episodes. Yeah. Things like Living Witness, Author Author, Course Oblivion, things like Deadlock, where you had this other Voyager crew who weren't quite ours. But it was nice to see that what if thing about mm. it. I, I think they did a lot. Actually, it tended to be some of the better episodes as well. <laughs> Ironically, yeah. ones when you had when you had the alternative crew, absolutely. Oh, and Live Fast and Prosper as well with the Con Man crew. Yeah, that one wasn't as good. I thought that one was like, that <laughs> no. That could have been brilliant, but it just felt, I think the joke fell flat for that one. But uh, again, that's for the Janeway to cover. Yeah, exactly. One thing though, you said that Seven of Nine wasn't in it. Uh, I'll be honest, I didn't actually register that. But yeah, it should be season one and season two Voyager crew. You get a feeling that Kez should have been mentioned then in that case. Well, I think Neelix wasn't. Well, it's interesting because Neelix was mentioned because he named his cat Neelix. It's a, it's a yeah. weird double thing because, in one sense, this is probably all based. It's weird because it's they've had they they, they do talk about the moment when the Doctor came across to the Alpha Quadrant in season four. I think it's the Prometheus mm. episode, which is a great episode. So a lot of their information comes from that point. So by that point, Kez would have left and Seven would have been on the show as a Borg. But it kind of even though he does have a cat called Neelix, it's there's no you know Neelix isn't part of it until the real voyage later on. Seven or nine isn't there, maybe because he doesn't have a frame of reference for it. So maybe yeah, again with Kez, it's quite possible that Barclay has built this Voyager set based on his understanding of Voyager. You know, obviously there's probably records of Balana and Chakoti in their uniforms uh, when they're in the Marquee. So maybe that's how they kind of got got that footage, maybe from like two yeah, undercover mission way course, back. I don't know, but. He'd have no visual context for Neelix. No, he might know about Neelix, the alien ship's cook, but he won't know what it's like. So he's named the cat Neelix, his own cat Neelix, but he doesn't have any context. What? Same with Kez and Seven or Nine again. I imagine if Seven or Nine was on there, she probably would have been a Borg. So it's like, yeah, there's probably no visual context to what's going on because they've only had the Doctor's account when he came across to the Alpha Quadrant. So I guess it's based on what he knows and what he understands, which is that very much that very early Voyager look. 
I've got to mention it as well because I saw it and it made me laugh. Admiral Paris is obviously meant to have a photo of Tom Paris oh, on yes. his desk. <laughs> Did you notice who it actually was? It's Nick Lacano, isn't it, from uh, <laughs> First Duty? Yes. Which, uh, yeah. I think we, we did talk about First Duty last year, didn't we, briefly? And I think, yeah. um, I don't know, I, I, I think the, 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 we pre, we pretty much on the basis that Nick Lacano is Tom Paris, they just renamed him. I know they couldn't get mm. a, there's a whole thing with the writers and the, and the rights to the character, but I think Nick Lacano as Tom Paris makes perfect sense. So, yeah, I, I love the idea that Admiral Paris is a picture with Son was actually a completely different character entirely. <laughs> yeah I, I saw that and I, I, I did laugh when I watched it and I thought ah that it's Robert Duncan McNeil but um, that's not Tom Paris but yeah that, that, I did I did find that funny and as you mentioned earlier on first real contact with the Alpha Quadrant and Voyager and I remember that sort of feeling very emotional and I, I think there was a tear in my eye the first time I saw that because, uh, you know, you've been with these... This is a season six episode, so yeah. you've been with this crew for five whole seasons, you know, halfway through season six, and they finally made that first contact back home for real. And you think, yeah, the, the, I think Janeway says, you know, the the Alpha Quadrant seems a lot closer. And, yeah, uh, she does. She doesn't allow Tom to speak to his dad, though. <laughs> She's, you know, he's, oh, yeah. Uh, <laughs> yeah, he can hear you. He's here. It's like, oh, do you want to speak to him? No, we haven't no, got time. No, no. <laughs> We've got Tom Paris here. I don't know who this Nick Locarno bloke is. <laughs> I think, it's, yeah, I, I like, there was some stuff with, with Troy and Barkley, like, you know, how to do your feelings, went right back to the holodeck, and, um, you know, she diagnoses that acute anxiety and paranoia. So there were moments when they were they were having Troy being a counsellor, which I really liked. Mm. Um, I like the references, the idea of the Enterprise E was in dark, and Geordie was almost supposed to come with him. I'm not sure how Joy would fit it in. Obviously, he was in Timeless in the previous season of that cameo. But um, it'd be maybe yeah. nice to see Geordie as well. But I, I, I like they mentioned Geordie anyway, and, and and you know Captain Picard gets a name drop as well. So there's some nice stuff there and with Data. the Enterprise and, and Data, yeah, definitely. I had to say I thought that was quite a strange line when they said about Neelix and said, "Oh, we should get him together with Data's cat Spot." It's like, yeah, Reg would know who Spot is. And why you say Data's cat? Because it's <sighs> a crossover. It's a crossover, maybe the writing isn't as good. As I said, there's some stuff that feels like paint by numbers and then they approach it. But stuff like, like, like Troy's, Troy's counselling of, of Barker. But the idea of it, you know, the broad holodeck addiction, Troy likes chocolate ice cream, very broad strokes approach to it. Oh, Data, you know, you have a cat called Linux. Oh, Data is a cat called Spot. It's like, it's very broad strokes trying to get back to the greatest hits. And there's, there's that line that's, that happens, actually. I think... Uh, Barker says things haven't been the same since he left the Enterprise. It's almost like it was like a voice in Star Trek at the time because by this point, I think we'd never seen that. We'd we'd had Insurrection and First Contact, and Next Gen was pretty much in its limbo now of the of the end years. So it's almost like Next Gen was was the great show that the most popular show certainly because DS9 was very much a black sheep at the time. So mm. it was very much like you know Barkley saying he hasn't been the same since since the Enterprise. Almost feels like Star Trek voicing. The kind of the fans themselves maybe say you know, you know, Voyager isn't quite at the level the next gen was, and maybe you know we we miss the glory days of Captain Picard on the Enterprise as well. Yeah, did feel uh, a couple of times like they were going, ah, next generation. Do you remember next generation? That was a thing. Yeah, yeah next generation yeah. was a show. It felt like that a couple of times. Pathfinder 
wasn't a great one for me. As I said, the the final moments, the final sort of ten minutes of the episode, I thought were great. The contact yeah. back with the Alpha Quadrant, fantastic. And and, and Barker's heroics to get there as well. Yeah, gave him yeah. real agency. Yeah, and it did have its funny moments. As I said earlier on, the crew just absolutely falling in love with uh, with yeah. Reg, uh, and you know, harkening back to Hollow Pursuits again. But the episode itself, I, I didn't think was great. And I don't kind of they paint my numbers in a way. Yeah, it did feel like that. It felt like greatest hits a little bit. Yeah, not as bad as um, the Enterprise one we're going to talk about. But yeah, it's it's just a bit 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 bland. It was nice. It was nice to see Troy. Nice to see Barkley. Nice to see Barkley get stuff to do, and there were some fun moments. But mm. overall, it didn't quite make the impact that um, maybe it could have done. Yeah. Shall we get on to it then? Let's do it. Okay. It's been a long road getting from <laughs> getting there to here. <laughs> Are you the whole thing? Uh, I did it on Twitter a couple of years ago, and uh, I think I lost about three hundred subscribers when I did it. So <laughs> probably not a good idea. Anyway, we can't put it off any longer. We should talk about these are the voyages. UVN next, just beyond the next planet, just beyond the next star. The last hour, the last episode ever. One incredible goodbye. Been a hell of a run. I believe I'm going to miss you. As distant future generations look back, Frig is bigger than this. A lot of things change in 200 years. On her last heroic missions. How many died? 71. Her journey ends where the Federation begins. Here's to the next generation. Star Trek Enterprise, the final episode. UPN next. Go on then, you start. Oh, um, I did an Enterprise rewatch last year. And I purposely finished at Terra Prime. I'm, all, I'm stopping there because that's a great way to end the show. And I'm glad. And I thought, well, I knew we would kind of talked about in the future to a crossover episode. So I thought, actually, it was a quite long way away. But at some point in the future, I'll watch it in isolation. And so I thought maybe it would be better in isolation without coming to the end of, of actually what's a really good season of Star Trek. Season four of Enterprise is actually really, really good. Um, some really great stuff in there. Mm. I thought it would be better in isolation, and I still got really angry over how it just kind of shat all over the Enterprise and, and made it a hard episode of Next Gen. Don't get it wrong, there's there's some nice stuff in there with Riker or Troy, but it just it's sentimental guff that basically goes, forget Enterprise. They, they knew Star Trek was done at this point. This was the last episode of Star Trek since... Potentially since ever. Yeah, ever. Basically, between the last time there'd been a gap was before Encounter at Farpoint. That's how long it had run. We'd had seven seasons of Next Gen, seven seasons of DS9, seven of Voyager, four of D- uh, of Enterprise, and we'd had, I want to say, one, f- probably, um, five, six generations, first contact and insurrection with five films. So yeah, mm. seven, 40, 21, 25 seasons and five films. We had a lot of Star Trek. This yeah. was the end. We, I know Nemesis followed, and that was a flop anyway. And but actually, you know, we, we, we'll talk about uh, Nemesis um, end of this year, won't we? Actually, it's one of our as our film we're going to talk about later this year. But um, yeah, Nemesis actually uh, came during the production of Enterprise, I should say. As yeah, well. but for the last episode, they basically go, "Let's just celebrate. We all like Next Gen. Let's make a Next Gen episode," and completely crap over everything Enterprise been built into kill off a character that was probably my favourite character on the show and then fail to do the one thing that Enterprise has been building up to which is the Final Federation um, I know we're jumping around a bit but 
I think the thing that annoys me most of the episode, I, I could forgive the episode if it ended with Archer giving the speech with the Founder Federation. But what happens? He gets up, gets up the stand, it. starts to speak, and Riker and Troy walk out the holodeck. And it frames on them, not the crew. And I'm like, what? You just completely missed it to make, oh, it's, it's actually his Riker and Troy along. You like next gen. That's what we want. It's like, no, actually, it's not what we want at all. <laughs> it's like, as much as I love Riker and Troy, that wasn't the purpose of the Fenaya Enterprise. But there you go. Yeah, I know Brandon Braga has said that he wanted to do it as a um, a celebration of that whole era of Star Trek, the mm. whole Berman era, which had pretty much, as you said, been on TV nonstop for the previous eighteen years. Yeah, you're gonna you're gonna hate me now because way back when we first did our teaser episodes, you asked yeah. me about Star Trek hot takes and something that would get me thrown out of fandom. Now, this is the first time I'd watched this episode since it first aired, watching it for this. Yep, same for me, actually, yeah. And I've always defended this episode because I kind of saw it as the same way as Brandon Braga did. I didn't Mm. see it as an Enterprise episode. I saw it as a Star Trek episode and a celebration of the previous 18 years. Looking back, I can see... They shouldn't have done that. It should have been, this is Enterprise's swan song. Let's give them a good sending off and not have Riker and Troy in it. I also think this episode would have been better if it had been halfway through the, the fourth season of, yeah, yeah. of the show. So you know that the show's coming to an end and yes, you could feel it as, a, 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 as not so much a send-off but maybe this is something that happened. Yeah. yeah. And as you say, leaving... Is it Demons and Terror Prime as the yes. season, yeah. series finale? Which are very, very low-key, but I think it's everything what they're trying to do, it ends with an alliance between different races. It's not the, fed, fed, it's not the Federation, but it's the birth of what would become the Federation. Yeah. Terror Prime actually is a great way to end Enterprise. Yeah. And I'm in the middle of my first Enterprise rewatch since the show first started i'd seen a lot of the first season episodes before so episodes like episodes like unexpected and fight or flight and you know those early episodes shadows shadows of pajem and fantastic first season episodes all right maybe not unexpected but (laughs) you know great episodes of season one and i'd never got past sort of the first, uh, the final episode of season one in any rewatch I've done. So this is the first time I'm doing the whole mm. lot, and I was a bit reluctant to watch these are the voyages out of sequence because I wanted to get there naturally and see how I felt about it for the first time since it was first on. I'm going to do it again when we get there because Geraldine, my partner, is watching Enterprise for the first time. She loves it because she loves Scott Bakula. Um, <laughs> But uh, yeah, she's um, she's enjoying it. But I wanted to get to that episode uh, anyway, and as well as that, the negativity, the general online negativity of these are the voyages put me off rewatching it, even though mm. I liked it at the time. I've got to be honest. Maybe it's because I've watched it out of sequence. I still like it. Sorry. <laughs> I don't know. Yeah, maybe if it's complete, if you watched a random start episode, I watched like I watched Pathfinder and and Defiant. I've done DS9 Voyager rewatches a couple of years ago, so you know they're mm. a bit more. Out of, well, I was Enterprise. I finished last year, so it's been more fresh in my mind. But uh, 
I don't know. Yeah, I mean, in what it was probably be- it's probably better to watch it in isolation than it is to watch it as the end of the final season. Um, yeah, there's, I mean, there's, there's some nice stuff in it. You know, it's great. You know, what what the pos- what what are you, for you are the positives of these the voyages? Go ahead, defend it. I love the <laughs> stand up for the show that everybody hates. Oh God, how to be unpopular on the internet. Um, <laughs> I loved Riker as the chef. This mysterious invisible character that we've never seen. Yeah, never saw it. Yeah, yeah. Even the great moment in the catwalk, and Chef shows up, but you only see his legs. He was—he was a Maris, wasn't he? He was the Maris of Enterprise. The the Maris. Fraser. No, oh, I never no, watched Fraser. Watch. Oh, okay. Well, uh, I was yeah, thinking the, the unseen character, basically. <laughs> he's like the the urine doors reminder. Or um, yeah. there, there was an Only Fools and Horses character as well, who you never saw. It's the invisible character. Seeing Riker show up as the chef at the end, I thought, yeah, that's quite nice. And I loved his interactions, his conversations with with Malcolm Reed, with Hoshi, with yeah, Travis, well, with Flocks. I... I thought that was beautiful. I thought that they they would have some nice moments. I think that was when when he inserted himself into the crew's lives and spoke with the crew because that, that that's probably for me the, the highlight of the episode is the fact that he got to spend a little bit of time with each character. There is it much a non-character I think, and um, it, you know even with characters like that, Travis, uh, you know, reading much to do, but it was nice to spend time. There's the scenes where he talked to Malcolm and Hoshi and Travis and Flocks and talking about about trip is in some ways is weird voyeuristic narrative on on the show looking at enterprise through the lens of someone else but i also quite like those moments when you get to see the crew and um that that was nice you know it, it's the last chance to spend time with his characters you know in a very relaxed man mm. not in these kind of high stakes galaxy adventures nothing like you saw in like season three with his indie this was just them relaxed being themselves, you know, some had more characters than others. Like Flox is fantastic. Um, I really, really like Trip as well as a character. So there were, and, and even the stuff with Tapol as well was really nice. So there was some really nice stuff there. I really hope we see John Billingsley again in Star Trek mm. because he seemed to have such a great time as Flox. Yeah, I would welcome an Enterprise revival or some form. Maybe that Birth of the Federation or the Roman Wars. I thought they were talking about, you know, because I know it's been 20 years now, but why not do, you know, let's let's just find a way, because it's a hard deck, get the fact that Trip doesn't die, because I think the whole Trip being killed in this episode felt like a waste of space. I think why they killed Trip, I don't know. It felt kind of, mm. it, it didn't feel heroic. It felt like a cheat. We've got to have a high stakes that's going to kill someone. And, um, yeah. I don't know. I, I, maybe that's episode, as well. So. Is is I found the the mission as much. I absolutely love Shran as a character. I think um, along yeah. with Wayun and Brunt, he's another um, brilliant, brilliant character um, played by um, Jeffrey Combs. Uh, he's always great. And I, I love Shran, and um, I, I, I he's always great to see on screen. And I, I do like his relationship with Archer as well. So you know, Shran is great, you know, but I did find the whole mission to get his daughter back just felt a little bit low stakes. Maybe again, given what mm. we'd seen with season three in the Zindi and then season four with, you know, episodes with with the um Falcon Civil War and the movie Universe and all these big episodes. It kind of felt a little bit flat for a finale. 
Um, it was like there wasn't much effort put into the story of and this is it there wasn't much effort really put into the story of what was happening on Enterprise because it was framed through Riker and Troy I think mean, that was what frustrated yeah. me I'd rather it had been about the more the birth of the Federation itself and it's, so it's almost like that's a side note and they go off and do this one last adventure but it wasn't even like a let's do one last adventure in a kind of fun heroic kind of way it just was a bit grimy and a bit flat and didn't really work so i do agree i really like the scenes with with uh riker as the the chef i thought that was that was really nice um but yeah it just it felt very weirdly voyeuristic um from an outside going actually you like next gen so let's not really worry about the enterprise crew and and what happened with them and the birth of the federation because what you really like is next generation so let's make it a next gen episode as much as i liked his interactions with the crew I've got to say his interaction with T'Pol was a little creepy. Freezing the programme and then kissing T'Pol. Yeah. It was Geordie and Leah Brahms creepy. (laughs) It was. It was. And um, I don't know, because it's it's frustrating because, again, it's almost like a little bit paint by numbers in some of the approach, you know, Riker was a ladies' man, so let's kind of have that kind of sleaze in there, which wasn't necessary because, actually, when you have the stuff as being chef, that was really nice. Um but yeah, it, there were some scenes when, as much as I like the chef scenes, when he was like listening to Paul and Tripp's final conversation or Tripp and Archer's final drink, it felt really like he was intrusive and, and a little bit creepy. Yeah. Uh, yeah. Even though it was a hard-dip program, it was like the fact he was just there in the corner watching everything was like, this, this doesn't, it, doesn't, it doesn't feel like that comfortable to watch. So uh, it kind of, in one sense, it made... Riker, this kind of slightly creepy person, look in the background, observing what's going on, and um, yeah. But um, yeah, it's a it's a shame because yeah, they they could have been some really great stuff in the finale. But I think as a next gen crossover, because it's what we hear about. You know, there, mm. there is some fun stuff. You know, it's nice the Enterprise D. I think Jonathan Frakes and Marina Sirtis look too old to be play to to be in their season seven uniforms playing those characters. Um, I almost wish I, I know this whole shoehorn into it being the events of the Pegasus thing, which it was Riker deciding whether to come clean to Picard about what was happening with Eric Pressman, wasn't it? Yeah, yeah. Which I mean, we talked about Pegasus briefly last year. It's a great episode, and mm. it just didn't feel like it really fit with the narrative, and it was more about. It's, that's it. The finale of Enterprise was almost like the cut scenes from Pegasus. <laughs> that's kind of what it felt like. Because when you had the stuff <laughs> of Enterprise, it was, like, you know, it was great to hear Brent Spiner's voice and see the um, the the Enterprise D corridors again. But it was just mm. all a little bit, a little bit weird. And um, you know, Marina Sirtis and, and John Frakes, yeah, they had that chemistry together. They where they work well. Great to see them both, but. It just, yeah, it felt really intrusive and the fact they framed it on Riker, not the crew, didn't work for me. I will say, though, I did love the Far Enterprise captain voiceovers that ended with Archer as well, so that was nice. Yeah, and obviously we had Kirk thrown in there as well, Kirk's Enterprise. So, yeah, that last thing. But as you say, we needed to see and hear the speech. If we'd seen and heard the speech... I think it would have made that finale mm. more palatable, let's say. Yeah. Uh, I wouldn't have said it would have made it a great episode, but people would have then been able to say, yeah, it's not a great episode, but what about that speech? And we didn't yeah, even get that. Yeah, exactly. It's, it's, that was a moment 
that Enterprise was building from from day one, mm. and they just they walk out the holodeck. That's what's unforgivable for me. I yeah. think for a lot of fans. Yeah, and it's ten years after as well, so we've we've missed the Romulan War. We've missed the moment mm. where Shran joins the crew. Apparently, yeah, season five sounded really interesting, didn't it? <laughs> yeah. But, you know, 10 years worth of it and um, the NX-01 gets decommissioned at the end of it. And seeing how long they eventually use ships like Excelsior class and Miranda class, you do wonder uh, whether the NXO class, uh, NX class would still have been in service for know, longer. Maybe, yeah, upgrades maybe, but yeah, it's... um. But it did sound like Trip was trying to keep it going with blue tack and gaffer tape <laughs> yeah. by the end. Yeah, absolutely. Right, but uh, yeah, is there anything else you want to talk about with uh, these are the voyages, or do you just Not want really. to briefly, uh, quickly I, I, I move think on? I've, I've watched it again. I've decided <laughs> it's still terrible, um, but I will give you on the chef scene. So I, I like the end speech and the chef scene. So that I'm, I'm giving some love, a little, a little bit of love, and, and mostly a lot of hate, really, for, for these <laughs> <are> the voyages. <laughs> Oh, that's fair enough. I, I definitely know I'm in the minority when it comes to this episode. And, um, you know, I said I'd always defended it. And, uh, yeah. You've done I, a good job. <laughs> um, I'll stand up for these are the voyages. And I'm, I'm waiting to see what Geraldine's opinion of it is when we get there, to be honest. Mm. So I'm not going to say anything at all about it. Is Geraldine a fan at all of Next Gen? I know you've introduced her to a lot of Star Trek. She enjoyed Next Generation, yeah. Not sure she was that keen on Deep Space Nine, but she loved Quark, because Quark was Armin Shimmerman, who was in Buffy. Yes, yeah. And she loved Voyager as well. Um, And I think she's enjoying Enterprise because of Scott Bakula. At the moment, Strange New Worlds is her all-time favourite. That's really, really good, isn't it? Yeah. (laughs) (laughs) We won't dwell on... Strange New Worlds because there's no crossovers in it yet. No. <laughs> We've spoken about the king and queen of crossovers, but let's face it, Next Generation isn't just Riker and Troy. They've pretty much all had their own crossover moments across the genres. I mean, Picard has great scenes in Deep Space Nine's pilot. Come. Commander. Yes, please, come in. Welcome to Bajor. It's been a long time, Captain. We met before. Yes, sir. You met in battle. I was on the Saratoga at Wolf 359. Yeah, there's some really, really powerful stuff with Emissary. I'm, I haven't watched Emissary for a little while, but yeah. The fact the fact that you actually see the Battle of Wolf 359 with his assimilation as Locutus is a is a big, bold, dramatic opening and leads to some really kind of meaty stuff between Cisco and Picard in the pilot episode. Yeah. Cisco um, hates yeah. him. Absolutely yeah. despises him. It's it's quite a brave move to go from from your from your spin off show of having the character who absolutely hates the lead character, the beloved captain mm. of the of, of the of the flagship show of Star Trek. And uh yeah, but it absolutely works. And I think it sets the tone and style of DS9 from the from the word go really that you know this this, this you know this trauma will sit with him, and he is a bit of a broken man all because of what Lacutus did you know not say Picard and I think there's that kind of and that's what's great about those scenes with Picard and Cisco in the emissary is there he he kind of recognises that it's not Picard's fault Picard was turning to the Borg Picard was essentially 
was was taken and, and abused by the Borg to kill other humans. You know, Picard carries that trauma. We saw it in episode like Family as well, but he's still the representation of the person that killed his wife and caused so much death mm. and destruction. So, yeah, there's some really really powerful scenes in in the MSV between uh, Picard and Cisco. Yeah, exactly. And you get that moment where Cisco just says to him, "We met in battle at Wolf Three Five Nine and mm. the, the the sheer vitriol and hatred in his voice when he says it and Picard's obviously drinking his cup of tea and he puts the teacup back down and you can see mm. the look in his eyes as if to say oh no mm. and realizes what that means he's he's effectively meeting one of his victims from yeah, when he was Lucutus which they never really did in next year I don't remember in next gen really seeing any kind of anger and hatred to Picard over what he did as Locutus. Yeah. Well, Cisco's obviously lost his wife mm. um, during that. He's thinking of jacking it all in as well. Mm. Um, he's in such a dark place after losing his wife. He's he's doing this thing on Deep Space Nine purely because he's been ordered to. Mm. But he just wants to settle on, uh, settle on Earth, go home, and, you know, just resign from Starfleet or, or at least get a desk job but no he's he's been put out in the sticks next to this war-torn planet Bajor and on top of that the person who's effectively given him his assignment is the person who killed his wife Yeah. so yeah it's a, as you said it's a strong opening it's a brave opening hmm. but one that sort of made you realise that Deep Space Nine was going to be a different show. Very much so, yeah. Who have we got next on the list? Geordie LaForge. They're hailing us. You want to talk to them? Could buy us some time. Open a channel. This is Captain LaForge of the Starship Challenger. You seem to be in quite a hurry. You could say that. Why don't you shut down those impulse engines, drop your shields? Let's talk about this face-to-face. Mind if I take a rain check? As a matter of fact, I do. We know what you're about to attempt, and we can't let that happen. So the Federation Council is willing to make you an offer. Hand over the Borg transmitter, stand down your vessel, and the charges of conspiracy will be dropped. That's not much of an offer. If we succeed, those charges will never have existed in the first place. If you succeed, countless lives will be affected. We're here to save 150 lives. Our crew. I understand. And I might be doing the same thing if I were in your position, but I've got my own crew to protect, not to mention 15 years of history. So, I'm asking you again, stand down and return the transmitter. You know I can't do that. And you know I have to try to stop you. Yes, I know. Good luck. Same to you. Yeah, I watched the scene from Timeless. Um, related actually I've, I, I do I do really like Timeless Timeless is one of Voyager's better episodes certainly mm. there's some um, more high stakes near the scenes with the Voyager crashing into the into the ice planet it's fantastic it, it, it's a really good 100th episode for the show you know 100 episodes of TV shows generally are quite celebratory I think Timeless does that really well for Voyager I think having Geordie on there as a captain of the Challenger is a bit kind of the ice and the cake really having a legacy character on the show um, but you know, turning up in a galaxy class ship as well. You know, when in the, in those scenes where Chakotay is trying to basically it was stolen the um, Delta flyer, 
and you're going to go back in time to stop Voyager. Or, so, so it's a signal back to Voyager to basically change history. Yeah. And then, of course, you get the... Uh, you think, oh, the Enterprise has turned up. And obviously it's not the Enterprise, because the Enterprise has been destroyed at this point. But having that legacy Galaxy-class starship with a legacy Star Trek Next Generation character mm. well is kind of a really great cherry on top of the icing of what is a 100-episode celebratory episode of Voyager. Yeah. And and this is how these the Voyagers could have done it, uh, mm. to be fair. It is, it's the 100th episode of Voyager. Let's have a big, massive episode... And let's throw in a next generation character as well. And okay, let's face it, LeVar Burton was there already because he was directing the episode. Yeah. But to put him in the captain's share of the USS Challenger. Mm. And although he's the bad guy or the antagonist really of the episode, he sort of goes, Well, look, I'd do the same thing if I was in your position. I've got to prevent you from changing history, but you know, good luck. <laughs> mm. That's it. I I love that respectful nature. He's very Geordie. He's not yeah. like right. Stand down, or I'm going to blow you in a space. You know, he doesn't. He doesn't come in with all fire and all anger. You know, I I really like that that kind of dialogue between Chakotay and uh, and Geordie. The fact that when Chakotay says good luck and Geordie says same to you, there's that mm. level of respect there. That actually, you know, I have a mission to do. I have to stop you, but I get where you're coming from. I understand what you're trying to do, and I might do the same in your shoes, but. This is where we are. This is what I have to do. So it it's it shows his ability. You know, it shows the style of Geordie's command as well. You know, he will follow the rules, but he's not completely dispassionate to what the other side's thinking too. Yeah, and let's face it, Geordie's gone through his own share of history being changed himself. So he's mm. he knows where they're coming from. Next up, we've got Data. Now, Data doesn't appear in any other Star Trek series, which surprised me. But Brent Spiner's shown up a couple we of times. We get plenty of songs, don't we? <laughs> <laughs> which yeah. song is your favourite? <laughs> there's, there's many. Oh, God. Um, so, songs we've got two in Picard, one in Enterprise, mm. and obviously the original Noonien song. I mm. kind of like Noonien song because he's sort of like this batty old man. Yeah, I think that's a lot of fun as well, definitely. Mm. I think he's great. And um, I think the ones in Picard I'm not particularly a fan of. The the, the son of Sung, um, so Data's kind of human half-brother almost sort of thing, is, a, yeah. is an okay character. A little bit forgettable, but it was nice to have him back. I wasn't a particularly fan of Adam Sung in Season 2 of Picard. I think he was the weakest element of Picard for me, Season 2. Mm. We did talk about it on our Season 2 review episode. But... Um, the one in Enterprise, though, I really liked. It was really, you know, the way, the way it tied into the eugenics wars and super soldiers and even the impact on the Klingons, which then followed into another two-part episode in, in Season 4. And this is why Enterprise Season 4 was so good. It was doing lots of really great well-builds and then building the legacy of the show. Yeah. I think having Sung tied to the eugenics wars and then at the end kind of changing tact to start looking to artificial life was a really great, fun, fun, fun three episodes. Yeah, I mean, I... As I was saying, I'm in the middle of an Enterprise rewatch, so I haven't watched the uh, Augment trilogy in quite some time. Um, but I do remember his story being very, very interesting. And yeah, um, it's a lot of fun. He's. Um, am I right in saying that at one point he is he's insane and he's in, he's in prison or something? 
Yeah, he's in he's in prison at the beginning, I think, for his work on eugenics, which does tie into Adam Sung actually. Mm. The, the way we go with Adam Sung in Picard in two ties in nicely to the Sung that we're going to see a few hundred years later in Enterprise as well. Um, I'll say a couple couple of hundred years later, but um, yeah, he is he is in prison for his work on eugenics and gets involved with um, potentially another group of rogue super soldiers yeah. in the vein of Khan's people, but a kind of different offshoot. So. Yeah, it he does he does ham it up, but I think where it was like a little bit too overt in Picard season two, I think the way the level of ham that Prince Mala brings to the role of Sung in in the Augments trilogy Enterprise is really good. I think um, I know the Expanse podcast did three episodes looking at that trilogy, and that was definitely a really good listen, so it's worth checking out as well. But um, it's a it's a really good fun performance from, from Spider. I think I kind of wish it had been left there. I might have been okay with the brother in season one of Picard. I thought Adam Sung was was a step too far for me. Mm. Yeah, I'm I'm looking forward to season four, uh, which is ironic mm. because it's looking forward to the final season of this mm. if, of this fantastic show, which was killed way before its time. Um, yeah. But I can't wait for season four because I know there's just all these great stories coming up. And Borderland, Cold Station 12 and The Augments are three episodes in particular that I'm looking forward to. Yeah, definitely um, worth it. But but one thing that's always uh, I've always been curious about with Star Trek is their things with genetic enhancements and Noonien Sungs and Noonien Sings. Mm. Yeah, I mean it's appearing in Strange New Worlds now with with the uh, with Chief Security. Yeah, Lahan as well. So there's definitely this um, the shadow of Khan hangs over Star Trek sometimes a little too much. I think. Sergeant Into Darkness is an example where I think the obsession with Khan went too far and they should have done a completely different story. They should have done um, something like um, Where No Man Has Gone Before rather than yeah, for Khan again. But um, but yeah, I think sometimes, again, Star Trek gets a bit stuck. In the same way Star Wars, Star Wars gets stuck on its legacy skull character and sometimes needs to move beyond. In the same way that I think Star Trek gets stuck on some really good ideas and can't let them go and Khan is one of them. Khan, you know, Rafa Khan is a fantastic film with a great villain, but it was so good that even even other films, you know, Nemesis, for example, kind of plays a bit like a rehash of Afrikan. Into Darkness definitely is a rehash of Afrikan, you know. Some of the films can't let it go, and some of the series as well, but they can do some interesting stuff. The the Augment trilogy is definitely one example of where they do some really great work with that. Um, stuff with Bashir as well in Deep Space Nine was another really good example when they, where they take the idea of eugenics and the illegality of it all and do something quite interesting with the idea. Yeah, and that's one thing, at least from Picard um, and Adam Sung's character, when uh, when he realises what's going on with Corey isn't quite working, you see him pulling up the file mm. with the Khan project on it, yeah. um, and I thought, yeah, that's a great way of leading into Arik Sung in Enterprise. Yeah. So, yeah, I've, I've got to take my hat off for that sort of crossover. Right, who have we got next? Worf. Well... He did kind of cross over into Deep Space Nine for a bit, he didn't did. he? And I think he worked better in Deep Space Nine. I think he really <laughs> fitted in so well. I, mean, I, I love War for Next Gen. I think he's a great member of the team, and he's something very different. And mm. I know you weren't a fan of Klinger episodes, and some I do find some a bit shouty, but there was almost some really great stuff done with Worf in Next Gen. Less so get him to go with Troy, but that's just a weird thing in the final final yeah. season. But. Uh, He was a great character, and there was some really good development of the Klingons through Worf's character. I think that was then taken to another level with Deep Space Nine, and particularly his relationship with Dax as well was fantastic. One of the best romances in Star Trek, I think, was Dax and Worf. 
Um, but I think, yeah, Way of the Warrior, his introduction into Deep Space Nine is just an astoundingly good episode. It's a crossover with ones in it as well. And uh, yeah. obviously, Worf turns up with the uh, Klingon invasion of Cardassia, which really kind of kicks things off to another level and has that Klingon war in season four. I mean, yeah, we could talk about this for forever, but I think bringing Worf into Deep Space Nine was a masterstroke because even though I think the season was improving, particularly with the Dominion stuff in, in season two into season three, I think it went to another level when Worf came in as well and, and the way he fitted in with the crew, or didn't sometimes as well, but DS9 DS mm. was a crew of people that didn't quite work together. They were all quite different, whereas I think on the, on the Enterprise they were quite harmonious. So Worf's differences sometimes stood out, and sometimes for comedic effect, sometimes for dramatic effect, but it kind of worked because he was a juxtaposition. But when everyone's a bit of a misfit, I think he fitted in quite well, and he kind of felt like he found his place with Dax and Cisco and Marta and that as well. So yeah, And there was definitely some uh, friction between him and Odo uh, early on as well, because Worf had come yeah. from a security and tactical point of view, and Odo obviously is going, well, is he after my job? So Absolutely. yeah, you can fully understand that. But even though it's not him, I kind of wanted to talk about Star Trek VI, The Undiscovered Country. It's his great-grandfather or something? I think his grandfather. Basically, it's it's certainly somewhere down the line. General Wolf or Colonel Wolf. Yeah, yeah, he basically is the the, um, defence lawyer for uh, Kirk and McCoy. Tell us your sad story, Kirk. Tell us that you plan to take revenge for the death of your son. That's not true. Objection! Captain Kirk has not been identified as the assassin. Sustained. I offer him to the record this excerpt from the captain's personal log. I've never trusted Klingons. And I never will. I've never been able to forgive them for the death of my boy. I've never trusted Klingons. And I never will. I've never been able to forgive them for the death of my boy. Are those your words? Those words were spoken by me. Objection! My client's political views are not untried. On the contrary! Captain Kirk's views and motives are indeed at the very heart of the matter. This officer's record shows him to be an insubordinate, unprincipled, career-minded opportunist with a history of violating the chain of command whenever it suited him. It's an interesting one. It's, it's, the, it's the only time, I think, when Next Gen then went back and influenced the original series stuff. Because yeah. it came before anyway, so but with the films, because... Five and six, I guess seven, came out during. Well, five, Star Trek Five and Six came out when Star Trek was Next Generation was on air, so it was an example of kind of influencing the other way. Obviously, I know Spock came for two parter in season five of Next Gen Unification, which is mm-hmm. around the same time as the movie, and then it went the other way with Worf being there. So, I thought that was a really nice touch. I thought <laughs> I was watching that scene again this morning. That's the other crossover scene I watched, and I thought that. He wasn't particularly good <laughs> as a defensive lawyer. He no. objected a lot, but he didn't really. He didn't seem to have much of a strategy to defend uh, Kirk and McCoy apart from object. And when you've got Christopher Plummer as the amazing General Chang, who was such a great orator and you know delivered, you know was 
big and bold and dramatic in, in his attacks on, on Kirk and McCoy. And he's going, I object, 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 and then just didn't go anywhere. It's no, it's no surprise he ended up in Ruapente because I think I think Worf, the defence lawyer, what was was probably in the wrong profession. <laughs> yeah, I've got to agree with you on that objection to everything. But then, as you said, when you're up against um, General Chang, the immensely powerful Christopher Plummer, yeah. you're going to lose. And it, it was nice to see Michael Dorn show up in it, but uh, yeah. Yeah, it was a nice little touch. Yeah, uh, and uh, a, a hint of things to come, particularly with the fact that mm. Star Trek Six—they're finally starting to create the peace accords with the Klingon Empire, yeah. uh, which is obviously all in place by the time of Next Generation. Yeah, not not to mention, of course, the Kitten itself is actually influenced by Next Gen, so the story does go both ways. Even though Worf is very much a visual representation of Next Gen crossover into Star Trek. Kitima is something that first appears in the Next Generation series, so the mm. idea that kind of ties into that as well is nice. So Next Gen actually t- in turn influences the end of the original series, which is nice. This would have been around about the 25th anniversary, so they were celebrating it back then, and we're coming up on 60 years worth of yeah. it in the next couple of years. Right, there's one other Next Generation character which I really wanted to talk about her crossover with. And that is yep. Dr. Crusher and the episode Kobayashi. What about this J.T. Kirk guy? I'm pretty sure we already have a captain on board. Computer, just give me some of the best you got. Acknowledged. Populating crew. Communications officer Uhura. All deck standing by, sir. Chief medical officer Beverly Crusher. Looks like you could use some help, Captain. Chief of security, Odo. <laughs> And science officer, Spock. Request permission to come aboard. I like this guy. You should take notes, Jankum. Permission granted. This is gonna be easy. Yeah, hasn't had much love. Obviously, like we were now, she'll be back in season three of Picard, and I'm really excited for that. But yeah, is she was the only, I think, because obviously Ray Noby just unfortunately had died by the time they recorded the voice work for Kobayashi. I think all the other characters, yeah, the legacy characters you had on, had on there, were um, taken from samples from the uh, episodes that originally the, the, the dialogue was from. But yeah, it was nice to kind of hear Gates McFadden voicing Crusher on the bridge of the Enterprise D in that simulation. Yeah, I mean, the, obviously the only other uh, character in Kobayashi whose actor is still alive is uh, is Uhura. Um, and uh, obviously we know Nichelle Nichols is now taking it easy. She's mm. um, she's retired from public life and acting, so you know she's obviously not going to chip into this. But I thought it was a nice little tribute to pretty much all of the eras of Star Trek, and yeah. it was so good to see Odo again. I know we're talking about Doctor Crusher, but seeing Odo harumphing at the front yeah. of the Enterprise D bridge and. Oh, can we just talk about how well they did the Enterprise D bridge as well? Oh, it looked lovely in the air. It's, I think it's about Kobayashi. It, it is a kids' show, but actually, it's got a lot of charm and a lot yeah. of reverence for Star Trek as well. And it's actually surprisingly fun as well. Um, I've seen the, episode, the first ten episodes now, and yeah, it's that. It, it's it's got a real love for Star Trek. It, it's it's lovely that it's, it does it from the kids' angle. You know, bringing kids into the world of Star Trek, but it's got a reverence for Star Trek, and you saw that in Kobayashi, absolutely. Yeah kind of felt like Star Trek does the Avengers as well 
um, <laughs> yeah, with uh, bits of every crew. The only thing I probably would have done is, even though it was great to see Scotty, I would love to have seen Trip turn mm. up. Once Jank and Pog got kicked off the bridge of the Enterprise, I would love to have seen Trip or even Stamets uh, show up there. Yeah, there wasn't any Enterprise love there on that, on that bridge, was there? No, there wasn't, and I really yeah. think there should have been. Spock, absolutely, let's have Spock on there. Uhura Odo. And, of course, we've got our own Dr. Crusher. She's the one that recorded new lines for it uh, for the yeah. episode as well. How do you think he did when when he was running the Kobayashi Maru? No, no one but Kurt does anything as well at all, do they? So, uh, I, 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 don't, I don't know. It was... um. A little bit of a disaster, but then you're going to have those kind of high stakes in a kid's show, aren't you, as well? So, uh, I don't know, maybe he did well. <laughs> I would make one observation. He beat the Kobayashi Maru. True. But then he put his feet up on the desk of that Klingon console and blew up the Enterprise anyway. <laughs> if he hadn't done it, he would have beaten the Kobayashi Maru. There you go, yeah. The only between him and Kirk is Kirk did actually blow up the Enterprise itself afterwards. <laughs> I loved that. It was it was such a great episode. If you haven't seen it, sorry, we've spoiled that episode completely for you. Prodigy is well worth checking out if you haven't. Mm. It's yeah, it's a kids' show, but you know what? I'd also recommend it as a, a good launching point for people who've never seen Star Trek before. You want to know what Star Trek is? Maybe Star Wars is more your thing. Mm. Watch some Prodigy. It shows you what Star Trek is all about. And then yeah. there's... It's a, it's a lovely little Star Trek show, yeah, definitely. Yeah, and I can't wait for it to come back later on in the year. There's one other Next Generation thing that happened in Kobayashi. Did you spot it? The game. I probably did at the time. The game. The game from the episode The ah, Game. Oh, yes, yes, yes. Dahl is playing with the game until Crush, uh, until um, Janeway takes it off him. Hmm. Well, if we're talking about little moments from next year as well, Lower Decks has got so many wonderful moments. You know, we've, we've had Shelby and Gomez, and um, as well as obviously Riker and Troy as well. There's been so many wonderful uh, TNG moments, as well as all the shows kind of appearing in uh, Lower Decks as well. It's got a massive love for the franchise, and Next Gen certainly gets the love there too. Yeah, that's it. I mean, Mariner herself, just every episode, she'll reel off something that happened in the next generation or the original yeah. series. Even in the episodes, uh, the last appearance of Riker so far in Kayshawn, His Eyes Open, mm. you've got that Starfleet Museum. The amount of things that there are there to previous incarnations of Star Trek, including, of all things, the candle from Sub Rosa. <laughs> yes, I love that. <laughs> I mean, yeah. Star Trek is is going to keep going for a long time. Let's face it, I don't think we've seen the end of crossovers just yet. No, certainly not. Just one more thing as well. We've got other characters like Lursa and Bitor, Vash, Luxana, Gowron appearing in Deep Space Nine. Major Barrett apparently had requested the Voyager writers to find some way of putting Luxana in Voyager because she didn't want to play yet another new character, um, even though we know her from as the voice of the computer. With new Star Trek episodes coming practically 52 weeks a year now, with <laughs> Picard, Strange New Worlds, Discovery, Lower Decks, and Prodigy, we're going to get a lot more crossovers to come, but I think we'll leave it there for now. Definitely. Yeah, yeah. I, I think we've done a good coverage of all the uh, TNG love and all the appearances across all the other shows. Yeah, we're going to come back to this at some point because we want to talk about Spock 
in Unification and Scotty in Relics and lots Definitely. of appearances in Next Generation of other characters from other series. But in the meantime, thank you as ever, Baz, for joining me on this what's been a fun episode actually it's been it's been really fun yeah definitely yeah. nice to kind of broaden horizons outside next gen as well but still keep it on the uh next gen theme yeah i think we're going to be focusing a bit more on next generation not uh next time so what are we talking about next yeah well this is a kind of this wasn't on our on our radar for um this year but then obviously and spoilers here for Picard season two. So um, if you want, if you don't want to know, then maybe stop here. So obviously Wesley turned up at the end of season two of Picard. He's off there with a traveller doing his own thing. So we thought it'd be quite nice to go back and look at his the two appearances with Wesley. The traveller's in three episodes, but we're going to talk about the two Wesley appearances with the traveller in season one and then season seven, and can compare them and, and look at his journey, kind of knowing now where Wesley goes mm. after the next gen as well. So there'll be um, there'll be season one and season seven episodes with Wesley and the traveller. Yeah, when no one has gone before and journeys end. That's yes, the end. we'll be looking at those two. Anyway, where can we get hold of you, Baz? So you can find me on Twitter at Baz Greenland and I've got many things on the go. Many podcasts over We Made This, including the Dot Two podcast, West Ham Ben called the TARDIS Crew and a Babylon Five podcast, a Dream Game Reform as well. They're my two other two of my projects alongside Beyond Farpoint over at Holosweet Media. And as well as those, I do a lot of writing as well. I've had a couple of um short stories published at Kanjar Books over the last couple of months as well so um, you can find you find those at Lucy Wilson and the Platinum Spectre and a book I've written for um, Operation Wildcat and other short stories which is a book about unit from Doctor as well so they're both at Kanjar Books now um, and that's pretty much but yeah anything anything else I do I always publicise on Twitter fantastic I can be found on Twitter at NCC underscore one seven Formula One. My other thing is retro gaming. So if you like your eighties eight bit retro games, particularly on the Spectrum, please follow my other account, which is at Specky World Cup. I'm working on another project at the moment, which will be going live possibly in the next couple of months. I need to do a bit of donkey work and get the uh, the hard work on that sorted beforehand so I don't really want to talk about it much until then but uh, I'll talk about that on the uh, Specky World Cup page when that's ready to go Beyond Farpoint can be found on the Facebook group The Nexus along with all of the other Holosuite Media podcasts please subscribe to us wherever you get your podcasts and we'll see you next month, thanks for listening and goodbye Let's see what's out there Engage.